You may be seated. invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me now to Matthew chapter 7. And the words to which I would call your attention this morning are found in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. Matthew 7, verses 21 to 23. This is God's inerrant and infallible word. It is perfect in all that it says, and we read it now as an act of worship. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name? And do mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the kingdom of light. We thank you that there is an offer of salvation to us at all. We thank you for the work of our Lord Jesus Christ who has given himself on the cross for the sake of his people. He has taken upon himself all of the wrath that is due to us for sin and now offers us not only salvation, not only the inheritance of a kingdom, but here in this life, the assurance of that salvation. So we pray and ask for the work of your Holy Spirit who is the seal of the things that are yet to come, that our hearts would be free from any doubt, any hesitancy, any trepidation about the kingdom to come, about the judgment that is to come. Would you do this grace for us, we pray in Christ's name, and for the sake of his glory, amen. Many of you probably remember the trial of the juice, O.J. Simpson. It occupied a great deal of attention and I guess the early and mid-90s, I certainly remember a lot of it. I think it was probably the O.J. Simpson trial that was sort of a transition for us as a culture because that trial um, had 24-hour-a-day coverage. I know for me personally, I did not know about court TV until the O.J. Simpson trial. And at any time during the day, you could turn on your TV set and learn about uh, the details of what was going on. You could watch the prosecution. You could watch the defense. And we all certainly remember that one moment of O.J. trying on the nefarious glove. There seemed to be Enormous evidence against him, perhaps, but he was ultimately acquitted of all charges. Certain parts of society were disappointed, certain parts rejoiced. But as we reflect this morning on Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23, we are told about a trial. 
We're told about a trial. There is a trial uh, that is coming. There is a trial uh, that we have to prepare for. Like the O.J. Simpson trial, certain parts of society are going to be acquitted. Certain of you are going to be let off and declared not guilty. And, And certain parts of society, certain members of humanity will not be acquitted. Certain members will be held liable for every vain word spoken. Jesus, as a faithful prophet, he doesn't want you to be unprepared. So he has come to you this morning to declare to you what will happen in the future. He is saying to you, looking at you in the face, as it were, through his word and saying, this is what's coming. My beloved people, listen. Prepare your hearts for this day. You need to know what's going to be expected of you. Now is the time in your short and vain lives to assure yourselves that in that day you will not be cast aside. When Jesus sits down before you and opens the books that you can stand before Him confidently. He is saying to you, that on the day of judgment, some of those who profess faith in this life will be rejected. Some of those in the day of judgment who profess faith in this life will be rejected. Therefore, you must pursue assurance of your salvation by doing God's will. Jesus, in this section, remember, of the Lord's, uh, of his Sermon on the Mount, he's coming to a close. Uh, in homiletics class, we were warned about circling the airport in our conclusion and never actually landing the plane. Well, Jesus is not guilty of that, he's a perfect preacher. And he closes with four additional points. He would have been an excellent Puritan preacher. He closes with these four points. And there are four warnings. He's he's asking you to listen closely in his conclusion. He's trying to to prepare you for the judgment to come. So so every single one of these statements is uh, the narrow way and the broad way. The the false prophets here talking about those who profess faith but don't possess faith. And then finally, with the outpouring of the flood of water, He is warning you that a judgment is coming. This morning in the third judgment, we think about those who will cry out to Him, Lord, Lord. He he dramatizes it to some sense. They are crying, Oh Lord, oh Lord, in this life and yet who will be condemned in the life to come. The first thing that we notice from this passage in verse 21 is that not all who profess faith in Christ are saved. Not all who profess faith in Christ, we could put it another way, actually possess Him. Notice what they're saying, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. We, he uses the negative there, but we could change it into a positive, and we could say it this way. Some who are crying out to me using the vocative idea, oh Lord, oh Lord, some of those who are saying that to me 
will not enter the kingdom of heaven. He's looking at an audience, isn't he? There are uh, numerous people who are gathered around him, Israelites in particular, right? Uh, People who have been anticipating the coming of the Messiah, uh, those who are hoping in uh, the one who will come from David's line and be the redeemer of Israel. They're expecting his coming. They are looking for him and he is looking upon them and saying, some of you perhaps will recognize me for who I am. You'll say to me, Lord, Lord, Maybe you'll call upon me as a prophet and a teacher. You'll recognize that I have some authority, but will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. One of the things that Jesus has been faithful to teach us all along is that throughout its history, the church of Jesus Christ is going to be filled with a mixture of people. In the church of Jesus Christ, there will be believers and unbelievers. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. Just for a brief illustration of this point. Jesus in Matthew 13, he he told the parable of the weeds. Uh, Some of you know it as the parable of the tares. Well, we in the 21st century, we don't pull tares out of our gardens. We pull weeds, so we have it here as weeds. Yeah, you're pulling weeds out of the garden. And so Jesus, uh, he told a parable. We're going to skip down to where Jesus explains this parable um, in verse 36. The crowds left and went into the house, Matthew 13, 36. And his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. And he answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man, the field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom, the weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil, the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels, just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The son of man will send his angels, and they will gather, listen, out of his kingdom." all causes of sin, and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You get the picture, don't you? That there is coming, at some point in the future, a moment in time when Christ will command His angels to come forth and they will judge the world, He will judge the world, and the wicked will be separated from the righteous. Until then... We live in a period of time in which the wicked and the righteous dwell together even within the walls of the church of Jesus Christ. This is why we read in places like 1 John that that those who went out from us were not of us. You see that there there were certain men who fellowshiped within the church. They they attended all of the covered dish luncheons for a while and then suddenly they went out and, and we're left wondering, did the gospel fail? Did the gospel fail? Did we fail as a church? Um, is it because we didn't have a water slide as a baptistry that they went out from us? And Jesus says, no. They never were of you. The weeds left. This is one of the reasons that, that the faithful church has always practiced church discipline. Or, or as we have it in our uh, confession of faith, we talk about church censures. This, this is why we, we do this. When you join the church, you don't simply come down to the front and fill out a card. 
But we require you to, to come before the elders. Tell us about your journey of faith. Tell us how you came to know the Lord. Tell us your testimony. Let, let us hear that. Um, we, we want, is in, in, in our fallible way, to, to try and understand that you make a sincere profession of faith. Why? Well, because one, we know from the previous passage, don't we, that false preachers and false teachers want to get in to lead the sons of God astray. But we also want to obey the Lord and keeping the church pure. We, we, we want a pure church. We know that that's not going to happen, but we desire a pure church. So we, we practice church discipline. We exercise the keys of the kingdom. Occasionally, Christ is going to reveal to us, isn't he, by his spirit, that some member perhaps of our church is not faithful. He's not actually true to his confession of faith. He'll reveal this maybe by a false belief or by a false practice. The refusal to repent of sin. And so the faithful church will do what? Pronounce Christ's judgment on that person's work. Not our own. This is not a vendetta. It's not to be vindictive. It's not to carry out vengeance. It is to say, this is Christ's opinion of what you are doing. Think about 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Remove the leaven. The officers of the church must say what Christ says about the works of unrighteousness. Otherwise, what are they doing? Being unfaithful. Many years ago, um, there was a young man in, in our, our church. He was still living with his parents and he went through a phase of life and he said, Mom and Dad, I don't believe any of that stuff that I said that I once believed. I don't believe that there is a God and I certainly don't believe that his son is Christ or that he died for my sins. Don't believe it. And so the session met with him, and they pled with him, repent. This is false. The way that you're going is going to lead to your condemnation. He said, uh, nah, I, I, I'm not going to listen to you. And so they suspended him from the sacraments, and they put him out of the church. And you know what happened? Two years later, God was merciful, and he repented, and he came back to the church and it was a day of rejoicing that he had professed faith in Christ again and he was received back into the fellowship of the church. You think about the same thing is true when we, when, when we fail to spank and to discipline our children. Imagine that we lived in a culture that believed in capital punishment. And if a man committed murder or, or another heinous crime that we were faithful to put that man to death. Well, now you imagine a father who will never say no to his child. What is he doing? He is preparing his child for destruction. The same thing is, the, is true of the church that won't practice church discipline. We're, we're not acknowledging this truth that Jesus teaches us in Matthew 7. That there are some who will cry out, Lord, Lord, oh Lord, oh Lord, and yet will not enter the kingdom of heaven. It is as if to say every single one who professes faith we believe is true. 
Isn't it better to show men their sin now than for Christ to reveal it to them in the day of judgment? I believe it is. So Jesus teaches us that not all professors are true, that some will not enter into the kingdom of heaven, that not all who profess faith in Christ are really saved. And that is something that should grip us. Because he goes on, secondly, to show us that false professors, listen, and we should understand it this way, that every single false professor will be revealed in the day of judgment. Notice verses 22 and 23. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy, cast out demons, and do many mighty works? And then I will declare to them, depart from me. In that day, what day is that? What day is Jesus referencing? Tuesday? Friday? No, what Jesus is doing at this point in his sermon is he is fast forwarding. He is pointing you now to a point in the future. He's saying, look, in that day, there's coming a time. In that day, this is the day of judgment. John chapter 5, verses 27 and 29 Talk to us. They, they, he, Jesus there is teaching about a day when the Son of Man is going to come forth and something supernatural is going to happen. The unrighteous dead and the righteous dead are going to rise up out of their graves. One resurrection. And on that day, the Son of Man, according to John chapter 5, will judge the righteous and the unrighteous. Let me read to you the words that he uses there. He is explaining to his disciples and those around him that God the Father has entrusted all judgment to him. And he says this, and the Father has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. A single day, Jesus speaks of, in which the Son of Man, by His voice, will cause all to come up out of their graves to one judgment, the righteous to life and the unrighteous to death. We see the same thing depicted in Revelation 20. The great white throne judgment. One day. And what's going to happen? Well, notice again the words of, of Matthew chapter 7. Go back there with me in verse 22. Notice what's happening there. On that day, many will say to me, what's the picture? Notice the words. Did, did we not in your name prophesy? This, notice... This is not one man, did I not? We. What's happened here is the sheep and the goats have been separated. The sheep and the goats are separated. 
The the righteous and the unrighteous have been parted. Christ on His great white throne has said, you go over here. You're over here with the unrighteous. And what's happening now is the men found guilty are pleading with Christ. They're pleading. They're asking for acceptance. And they're saying, we prophesied. We cast out demons. We did many mighty works in your name. Why are you throwing us away? Why are you judging us? I shouldn't be with this group. We did these things. Christ has condemned them. And yet their defense is in your name. In your name. In your name. And the Greek is emphatic there. In your name, we prophesied. In your name, we cast out demons. In your name, we did many mighty works. How are we to take this? If they did it in his name, are Does that make them a sincere believer? The apostles recognized their ministry was carried out not by their own authority, but by the authority of Christ. And so we see in places like Acts chapter 2, where Paul or or Peter in his sermon encourages the people, he says, you need to be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. And he's, he's not saying be baptized as a mode of baptism only in Jesus' name. He's saying, I can say that your sins will be remitted because I am invested with the authority of Christ. I can say this to you. It's a means of authority, a measure of authority. But one of the other things that happens is that false prophets will use Christ's name in a superstitious way. You remember the Old Testament? How the, the priests would come along, they say, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. We have the temple, therefore we're God's people. We can go in here and we can offer sacrifices. So there's something magical and mystical about us and doing these things in the Lord's name. Well, there are certain false preachers who will come to you in the name of the Lord, prophesying falsely. I, was, I read an article just this week by uh, Joyce Meyer. And she was wrestling with something and she was saying, I I didn't understand why I could speak over my circumstance in Jesus' name and my circumstance not change. You you see, this is is what's happened. Every time time a false teacher, they, they think that they can use Jesus' name. It's like a sword. It's like a weapon. It's like some sort of mystical incantation. In Jesus' name I declare... That's the same thing that's going on here in Matthew 7, 22. They're talking about the way that they did these things. Not that they're looking to Christ for some sort of authority or affirmation. What they're saying is, when I prophesied, I did it in your name. When I cast out a demon, I did it in your name. I used those words. Yet notice what Jesus will say in verse 23. And then I will confess to them. Depart from me. I never knew you, you worker of lawlessness. Depart from me. Jesus is Lord of the kingdom. 
He is the judge. He is the one who will wield the rod of iron on the last day. If you think that because Jesus is the judge, that for some reason he's going to just dismiss everything out of hand, you're wrong. You may not have his kingdom without having him. He says, I never knew you. And we remember that it is Christ's knowledge of us that is essential to our salvation. He must know you. That is what gives you access to his kingdom. And he calls them workers of lawlessness, even though they did all of these things. Even saying that they used the right formula for them. They remain men who do not do the will of God. And what happens now? The curtain falls. Darkness comes upon them. The devil and his angels drag them into the place of darkness where there is gnashing of teeth, screaming and wailing. Imagine now with me just for a moment a man who doesn't prepare for his court date. He gets a summons, a subpoena to appear before the court. He knows he's on trial. You're listed there as the defendant. He says, I'll I'll make something up when I get there. Don't you want to know what the charges are? Nah. Do you want to know who the judge is? Nah. you know who the prosecutor is? Not worried. Who would do that? Nobody. Nobody gets to court and says, I'll learn about the charges here. But do you know men do? This morning, Jesus is telling you that the day will come when every single one of you will be summonsed to appear before the judge. And yet there are many who say, you know what, I'm comfortable just winging it. Christ wants you to tremble at these verses. He intends for you to prioritize the age to come. Listen, there is nothing that you can do in this life that compares in importance to that date. No prom, no cotillion, no college acceptance, no speech, no ball game, no work appointment, nothing. Nothing compares to that date. And yet we prioritize all of those things over thinking about that. That is what matters. So the question that we're left with then is Jesus is warning us. He's told us that that, that not everybody who professes faith in this life is going to be received into the kingdom of heaven. He's telling us that, that every false professor is going to be revealed in the day of judgment. But Jesus wants another thing for you. He wants you to be assured that on that day, you will be accepted into the kingdom. 
It isn't his will to leave you in the dim, in the dark at all. He wants you to be filled with assurance and confidence that when he comes and he appears with all of his holy angels and you hear the trumpet blast, that there's eager anticipation and that as the hymn writer says, even then you will say, it is well with my soul. He wants that for you. And so he gives us this little phrase, In verse 21, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he will enter. You see it? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he will enter. Well, we know something, don't we? This means that Christ owns the kingdom. There is no point at which he failed to do the will of his Father. Compelled by an unchanging love of God, he did the will of God wholeheartedly. He pursued it every moment of his life. Pastor Danny prayed this morning that God would conform us to Christ's image. And so what is this going to look like for us? It's going to look like me pursuing the will of God in my own life, seeking to do the will of God. And what is God's will for you? Sometimes we think that God's will is this mysterious thing that only God can know. But there's one caveat, isn't there? He's given you this. He wants you to know His will even more than you want to know it. What is the will of God for your life? Well, he wants you to be saved. He wants you to be forgiven. John 6, 40, and this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. You see, there's the promise, the the alternative to John 5. How do I know if I'm going to come up out of the grave and be with the righteous? Well, have you believed on Christ? Well, what do I believe about him? Well, you believe that he came from the Father, that it was the Father's will to send him. What do I believe about him? I believe that he's the Son, the eternal Son of God, that he is the one that gives me eternal life. God wants you to be saved. He wants you to be forgiven and assured of that. But what else is God's will for me? Well, God wants you to be sanctified. We learn that explicitly in places like 1 Thessalonians 4.13. This is God's will for you, that you should be sanctified, especially that you should abstain from sexual immorality. 4.3. We know God's will from 1 Thessalonians 5.18. What is His will there? To give thanks in all circumstances. That is God's will for you. But there's one thing that we understand. That in order to do God's will... I have to learn it. Romans 12, 2 says what? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. To what result? So that you can discern what is the will of God. You see, you, you need change. You need a transformation of your mind worked in you by the Spirit of God to acknowledge that Jesus is the Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 
but also to know what God's will is. So we're instructed over and over that we need to pray for this. You need to pray to know what God's will is, according to Colossians 4.20. Pray that God will equip you for good work. It is God's will for you to be sanctified. I want you to follow me here just for a second. Knowing this, that it is the one in this life who does the will of God, who will be assured of his salvation. Remember, prove your election sure, we are reminded. Prove your election sure. It is God's will for me to be assured and for sanctification to play a part in that, to play a role. How, do I, how am I sanctified? Well, you're sanctified by learning. You need to learn God's will. You're following me so far. This requires a renewal of my mind. I need someone to instruct me in the will of God. I need to learn it. Then the basic requirement is this. You need to be equipped and you need to be transformed. How? By going to God's word. So here's the fundamental thing. The man who will enter the kingdom of God, who will assure himself in this life that he belongs to Christ, is a man who is going to pour the word of God into his own mind. He's going to learn it. He, he, he knows that morning and evening, every Sunday, the church meets for what purpose? So that we can be instructed in God's word. He's going to be there. Make sure my family's there. Why? Because I need this transformation. I know that this is God's will for me. And I love him. And I want to learn from him. I want to sit at his feet. I want to know him more. Why? So that I and my family can have a total assurance that when Christ comes forth, he's not going to say to me, depart. I would be there for Sunday school. Be there for worship. Every opportunity that I can make, make to be in God's Word, I'm going to open the Word with my family, my wife, my children. We're going to eat it for breakfast and dinner. Why? Because we have an appointment. And I am not a fool who thinks that I can get to the day of the summons and prepare for the trial. On the day of judgment, some who profess faith in this life are going to be rejected by Christ. Therefore, he calls upon you to pursue assurance of salvation by doing God's will. Listen to one last piece of instruction. In the end, the righteous will be distinguished because not one of them is going to plead the merit of his own works. This is what the unrighteous are doing. You see that? Look what I did. Look what I did. Look what I did. And do you know that no righteous man, no man who belongs to Christ is going to make that profession? Those who are cast away from Christ as they are going into hell, their voices are going to fade out by saying, my work, my work, my work. The ones who remain, 
those who are received by Christ are going to be united by this confession. Lord, I renounce all of my works as worthless in your sight. And the only reason that I stand here before you is because of the work that Jesus Christ has done in my behalf. That is the confession of a believer. I'm a worm. He's a king. And therein is all my hope. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you that you have been faithful. Only one has done the will of God perfectly. And it is you. Only one is righteous. Only one has perfectly kept God's law. And it is you. And therefore we come before you to worship you. To give you what is your divine right. As the Son of God and Savior of sinners. I pray for myself and I pray for my brothers and sisters this morning. We ask that you would take away from us any false assurance. Help us to, to know who we really are in your sight. To treat the day of judgment like a real thing. It's going to be as real in history as Napoleon's kingdom. Father, we pray and ask for the work of your Spirit in our lives. Stir us up, O Lord, to love the things that you love. Stir us up to give ourselves body and soul to the study of your word so that we, we might approve the things that you approve. That we might, we might discern false teaching so that we might embrace right teaching. And especially so that we can behold the face of our Savior, love Him, praise Him, and give Him all that He is due. We ask all this in His name. Amen.